Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, welcome to Student Takeover. How awesome was that worship just now? Oh my gosh. I'm so proud of my little younglings. You guys are the best. Um, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Doug. I'm the uh, student pastor uh, here at Seacoast Vineyard, and it is uh, my pleasure to uh, spend every Sunday with those young people. Um, we have a great team, and uh, it's just, it's awesome. So today's a very special day for me. Um, if you saw the name City 27, you're like, you know, what's the deal with that? Um, I'll just explain it to you real quick. It's something very simple. We are on 27th Avenue. Um, and so we decided, hey, look, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to build a community. And so it's just simply City 27. We're trying to build a community of young believers um, here on 27th Avenue. So that's the name, all right? Um, so before we get started, I want to do something with you that I think is pretty important. All right, it's actually uh, Communion Sunday, and so you should have received one of these uh, in your packet when you came in the door. If you don't have one, put your hand up, and we'll make sure you get one. All right, we got three over there who need some, and one over here. All right, so uh, the way it works is uh, you got a little tab here, okay, so you pull it back, all right, and it gets the, uh, it shows the little bread. It's not really bread, I think it's styrofoam, but anyway, so you pull that back. All right. Now, if we could, can we stand for this part? I'll I'll reveal my cards a little early. My message uh, this morning is about uh, the value and importance of worshiping God. And so I thought, what better way to start uh, this series and start this message uh, than to remember one of the biggest reasons why we worship God for what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so... uh, So we have this, Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you, take and eat. And then he took this cup, and he said, this is my blood, which is spilled for you, the cup of the new covenant, the new promise. That now, in Jesus, we have access to God in a way we never had before through his sacrifice. And so when we drink this in remembrance of him. Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you've made for us. We love you. We ask you to breathe life on your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, that's my first time leading the church in communion, so. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's see. Let me get my bearings here so we can get started. Um. All right, so let me start off by telling you a little bit about my relationship with my dad. 
Now, if you've heard me preach before, you know that him and I have a pretty good relationship. Is that me? Hang on. All right, is that better? Okay. Uh, so if you've heard me preach before, you know that uh, him and I have a pretty strong relationship. Love the guy like crazy. And we work together for, and I think we're up to like four or five years now. Now, when you work with your dad, uh, there's some perks that come along uh, with that particular situation. For example, I can't remember the last time that I've paid for lunch, all right? Seriously, I've been eating like a king for years now because the old man's been footing the bill. And right? so it's very exciting for me and one of the great things about working with him. Another thing is, and this is probably a more important one, uh, is that he loves Jesus like crazy, all right? So when I've got stuff going on, working through some stuff in life, or uh, just kind of stressed out, we can stop what we're doing, right, right in the middle of the work day, whatever, talk it out deal with it, pray for each other, whatever needs to be done, uh, we can kind of work it out. So what happens is every once in a while, uh, I'll pay for lunch, all right? Or maybe I'll just stop what we're doing and I'll say, hey, Dad, love you like crazy. I really appreciate what you've done for me. I love this job. You know, whatever it is, I'll just kind of ham it up with him and tell him how much I love him. Now, when I do that, or when I say those things, is it because he needs to be, like, filled back up emotionally? Like, is he dying for something from me when I tell him those things? Is he expecting me to pay him back every time he buys lunch for me? Like, he's running low on money, and I'm like, don't worry, I got this, so that way maybe you can get me next time. No, that would be super weird and unhealthy. Um, The reality is, is I do those things, and I say those things for one simple reason. He deserves it, and it's true. Pretty basic. He deserves it, and it's true. And so... We're in a series uh, called The Church That Jesus Would Build. And last week we talked about how one of the aspects of a church that Jesus would build would be that we were a learning church. All right, well, this week, very exciting, uh, we are going to say that, you know what, another aspect of the church that Jesus would build would be a worshiping church. If people rolled in the door and looked at us, they would say, you know what, this church worships. See, I'd like to make the case this morning that we ought to be a worshiping church because he deserves it and because it's true. You guys see where I'm going with this? All right. So if you've been at Vineyard for any length of time, you should be getting pretty jacked up right now. You should be getting pretty excited because Vineyard, you know, we have our roots securely founded in the value of worship. Not just Seacoast Vineyard, but the Vineyard movement. So, in fact, Phil Strout, who is our national director... He once said that we cannot walk away from the experience and intimacy of worshiping God and not be vineyard, and still be vineyard. That's what it is. It's up there. Let me read that again. We cannot walk away from the experience and intimacy of worshiping God and still be vineyard. It's of the utmost priority, and it characterizes us as a body of believers. All right? Worship is a big deal in the vineyard. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to jump into our scriptures. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. We just ask that as we work through this together, Lord, that we can become more like Jesus, uh, that we can engage in the art of worshiping you, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you. Uh, Just bless your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in Psalm 149 this morning. Psalm 149, and it should come up on the screen, perhaps. There it is. All right, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. 
Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. So what do I mean when I say worship? If I were to ask you guys this week, okay, I want you to worship the Lord this week, what are some things that you would do? Shout it out. If I said worship the Lord this week, what would you do? Pray, all right. Sing, give thanks. Anybody else? Worship the Lord this week. What are you going to do? Good deeds, nice. I like it. Young people, anybody? No? Awesome. All right. Proud moment. Okay. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to tell you guys right now uh, that this morning we are going to unwaveringly stick to the physical act of using our voice to sing praise to the Lord. Okay? There are all different ways in which we can worship the Lord. And you guys said some of them. Another one would be uh, the one that I hear a lot is uh, tithes and offerings when we give our money back to God. That's part of our worship. There's all these different ways we can do that. But this morning, it is about using the voice that God gave you. The very first instrument was our voice. All right? And so uh, we need to define what is a worshiping church. What does a worshiping church look like? And so we find, let's look at verse 2. It says, let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. First thing a worshiping church is is that it knows God as creator. That it knows God as creator. So if you're tracking along in your fill-ins, that would be number one. A worshiping church knows God as creator. There's a woman I know. She may be in this room who can literally look at the moon and begin to weep for the goodness of God. That same person can float on the ocean for hours at a time and bask in the goodness of God's creation and all is right with the world. Now for me, when I look up at the moon, I feel nothing, okay? When I float in the ocean, well, first of all, I would never float in the ocean because that's insane, uh, number one. Number two, I can't stay on the beach. I don't even know why I live here, but the reason is, I'm like, I could never do that. Like floating in the ocean, you have no idea what's underneath you. It's just, it's dirty. Just, it's a bad idea. But there are certain people who get super jacked up about the beach, and they love God because of it. I am not one of them. Anybody here get jacked up about the beach? All right. Yeah, most of you. All right, whatever. All right. So, uh, (laughs) anyway, I feel nothing when I go to the beach. It's stressful for me. It's just one of those things. I don't know why. Uh, Kick back a few years ago. I take a group of people, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) hang on, so go back a few years ago, and I took a group of people to Estes Park, Colorado. Has anybody here ever been to Estes Park? Yes, yes, look at all you Estes Park folks, nice, all right, so we went up to Estes Park, Colorado, and there's mountain ranges there, and they're not huge, you could do the whole, you could walk up the mountain in like an hour, two hours, whatever it takes. And so when I get to the top of this particular mountain with all my friends, and I look out upon God's creation, rolling hills, it was fall, so it was like orange and red leaves and the birds chirping and, you know, and we're all just basking in the presence of God's creation. I looked up into the sky and I felt nothing. I felt nothing. How bizarre is that? And so I began to think about it. I'm like, what's wrong with me? And I realized I've had a video game controller in my hand since I was three years old, all right? So the bar for stimulus 
the bar to like get me awestruck about creator God is pretty high, all right? Like something's gotta be pretty wow to kind of get my attention, you know? It's just part of the, part of the culture uh, that's being developed right now is that we have access to a lot right away, immediately. And so it's different than how things used to be. But I'll tell you this, five years ago, Louis Giglio stood about 100 feet in front of me and he began to explain that the sun is a million times the size of the earth, I started to get a little awestruck, okay? I started to get a little wowed by creator God. When he then proceeded to tell me that there is a star, in fact, the largest star in the known universe called the Canis Majora, and it is so big that you could fit seven quadrillion earths inside of it, I started to get a little awestruck by Creator God. So if you're having a little trouble kind of getting your arms around what seven quadrillion is, if we had seven quadrillion golf balls, we could cover the entire state of Texas 22 inches deep. That's how many earths fit inside this thing, okay? And that exists in the universe. You want to talk about being wowed by Creator God. Genesis 1.14 says that the universe was spoke into existence by God. That this massive, beautiful, complicated thing that we live in was created by his mouth. And so, he speaks the universe into existence, and yet he speaks to you and I. The same guy who spoke this massive ball of fire that keeps this whole world going, speaks to you and I. And he created you and I. And so as the old hymn says, I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder, thine power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee. How great you are, how great you are. You guys want to sing that together? Yeah? All right, let's see if I can do this. Ready? I'm going to turn my mic off. <laughs> okay, all right, ready? Here we go. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. And sings my soul. Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. And sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great Beautiful. Amen. Amen. You see, we worship a beautiful and wonderful creator God. So uh, let me ask you this. Has anybody here ever heard the term? Hold on, I got to fix this mic. I'm like destined to always have problems with mics. All right. There we go. Has anybody here ever heard the term omphaloskepsis? Anybody ever heard that word? Um, fellow skepsis. All right. 
Uh, I was at a church a long time ago, and he used to use this word all the time, uh, my old pastor. And so I'll tell you what it means. It's a Greek word for navel-gazing. Really, it's the Greek word for navel-gazing. It literally means staring at your belly button and thinking about yourself all day long. I'm phalloskepsis, okay? Now, part of the reason why we have such a hard time worshiping Creator God is because we're doing a lot of spiritual phalloskepsis, okay? Let's see, when we pull ourselves out of that and we remind ourselves to look at creation, we get awestruck by Creator God. And so a worshiping church knows God as creator. Got it? Very good. Let's look at verse 2. It says, let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Second fill-in, a worshiping church knows God as king. Worshiping church knows God as king. That does, there we go. All right, knows God as king. See, in 2015, I'll be honest, we don't really have a reference for what like a king really is, um, much less a good king. I mean, most movies that we watch and television shows and stuff like that, usually the king is like this chubby, greedy tyrant who like just like builds his kingdom on the back of poor people. Like that's most of what we think of when we see a king, especially in movies and stuff like that. And so uh, to understand and worship God as king is, is difficult for me. It's hard for me to grasp that concept. So I just kind of Googled it, you know, just hanging out in Google, just trolling around trying to find out, okay, what did a king do exactly? What were the responsibilities of the king? And then I found something that was super helpful. One of the offices of the king is to establish and protect his borders, all right? One of the things that the king does is he establishes and protects his borders, So essentially, wherever the rule and the reign of the king is, his will gets done. So if you're in the borders of the king's land, then you're under his authority, you're under his protection, and ultimately you're under his will. So a year ago, I was down in the cafe, and I was getting ready for a youth group, and and it was actually the kickoff of the first youth group. And so I'm like, you know, I'm in the zone, I'm getting stuff ready, I'm making coffee, I'm, you know, I'm just doing all this stuff, getting things all, you know, ready to be signed in and everything. And uh, in walks this man, and he walks into the building, and I immediately recognize that he has what I like to call passengers on his bus, okay? Uh, that's what we used to call it, and what I mean by that is demonic oppression. It was obvious, um, the Lord immediately spoke to me and said, this is what this guy's dealing with, and I thought, okay. Now, you've heard me tell this story before, some of you. Um, So I felt impressed by God that he wanted me to pray for this man. I was like, all right. So I spent about 30 minutes or so just kind of talking to him, assessing the situation, um, just kind of listening to whatever the Lord wanted to do. And uh, I said, hey, uh, do you want to take a walk? Um, Because we were inside with some people and and hanging out. And so I said, let's take a walk. So we walked outside and and walked on the parking lot. and, And then the moment came. It was like the conversation was winding down. It was like, I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And he said yes. I said, all right, he doesn't mind. So I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, now look, I'm going to pray for some spiritual stuff so it might get weird. Are you okay with that? And he just went, okay, sure. So 
I began to pray and pray about all kinds of things, just about the goodness of God and, and just speaking truth over his life. And then the moment came where I said, all right, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never prayed for anybody to be free from demonic oppression before. I'm like, all right. So just here we go. So I just said, look, if there's anything spiritual working on you, in you. No, I said, if there are any spiritual beings working on you, in you or through you, they got to go in the name of Jesus. And then what happened next was super weird, okay? Uh, the entire right side of his body started to kind of like flail and do this shake thing. Um, and then he dropped all the stuff that I had given him. He was holding like Pop-Tarts and stuff. And he dropped all of that. Um, and it lasted probably maybe two or three seconds, okay? Which doesn't seem like a long time, but when you're trying to pray for somebody and they're shaking uncontrollably for like two or three seconds, that's a long time, okay? That's like one, two, three. That is so uncomfortable, okay? But something was happening, so I was okay. Like, I knew, like, Jesus wanted me to do this, so it was like something was happening, so whatever it is, like, I trust you, Lord. And so then it was over, and then this man... 50-something years old, looked me in the eye, just tears streaming down his face, and just began to weep and weep and thank me and hug me and tell me he loved me and said, I can't believe no one has ever done that for me before. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then I just sat back being wowed at God our King who just established some new borders. See, when the King establishes new borders, when he wanted me to pray for a man and free him from demonic oppression... The king is worthy of being worshipped. The king's worthy of being worshipped. And so I'm awestruck as God is king when Christ touches down and frees a man. When the king shows up in the life of a person struggling with addiction and begins to teach them new rules and new ways of living and brings them into a healthy life, the king is worthy of being worshipped. When somewhere around the world, young men and women who are sold into human trafficking get saved by a Christian organization and brought back in uh, to a safe and beautiful home, the king is worthy of being worshipped. When godly justice is met, the king should be worshipped. And so, one of the second aspects of a worshipping church is one that knows God as king. That's a good thing. Let's keep going. Verse 4. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. The Lord takes delight in his people, and he crowns the humble with victory. A third felon is a worshiping church knows God as Savior. A worshiping church knows God as Savior. See, we need to understand something here. Uh, the Psalms were written uh, back during the time of God's chosen people, okay, uh, way before Jesus. And a lot of the things that were said and done and what God did were to point to a bigger story. They were to point to the biggest story that we find in Jesus. And so when he says he, he takes delight in us and crowns the humble with victory, we see on this side of the story that Jesus is our victory, that on this side of things, we understand that what God means when he says he crowns the humble with victory is that Jesus has come to be our victory. The beauty of God as Savior is that in Jesus, the words of Romans 5.8 can be said with great joy. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now you see, when the scriptures say that we were still sinners, uh, that word, it has a range. It doesn't just mean bad things, okay? It doesn't say that while we were yet still doing bad stuff, Christ died for us. It's more than that. To be a sinner is to be totally apart from God, utterly separated. I'm talking no hope of ever making things right with God by your own human hands. To be a sinner is to be on the road to eternity in hell, forever apart from God, rightly judged for our abuse and rejection of God. That's what it means to be a sinner. Now, you may say to yourself, hey, we're getting a little dark here, all right? Getting a little dark with all this hell talk. Can we dial it back a shade and go back to creator God or something? <laughs> all right? I mean, I, I understand. I understand that feeling. But here's the deal, guys. If we minimize sin, if we minimize the cross, if we minimize the reality of our situation without Christ, we will only be able to worship Jesus to the level at which we think we need him. We will only be able to worship Jesus to the level at which we think we need him. In this day and age, it is very easy to minimize sin. It is very easy to minimize what the cost of the cross actually was. And when we do that, we forget how much he's actually worthy of being worshiped. Because our situation was not okay. Our situation was bleak. In fact, it was impossible You see, God created us in his image so that he could walk with us and we would be his people. I mean, you look in Leviticus and it says that uh, he wants to be with us and and be in relationship and, and spend time with us. And he created us in his image and we took the mouth that God gave us and we used it to tear other people down. And we used that, that mouth that God gave us to curse God. We took the body that God gave us and we used it to worship created things like sex and money and power. And yet in the midst of the crazy, in the midst of humanity going bananas with what God gave us, he never stops loving us. And Jesus steps down into our humanity. He becomes like us. He lives the life that we were meant to live in perfect perfection. And then he dies on the cross at the hands of lawless men, only to be raised from the dead on the third day. And in that moment, he leaves our sin, he leaves our shame, he leaves our guilt, buried in the ground forever. And all we have to do is confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that he is Lord and we will be saved. We worship God as Savior. That's the biggest reason why we worship God, because he is our Savior. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm almost done. So I have a little uh, nine-month-old son. His name's Aiden. He's a beautiful little ball of fire. And... uh, when he's at the house, um, he crawls now, okay? And so uh, what I do is I don't always just pick him up. I let him crawl around. I let him explore a little bit. 
Um, I always know where he's at. I always know what he's doing. I'm always paying attention. Um, I won't ever let him do anything that would really uh, ruin his life forever. I may let him experience some things just so he knows not to do something again. Um, I may, you know, kind of let him enter into some stuff uh, so he can learn and grow as a little tiny human. But uh, every once in a while, I'll be standing there, and he'll crawl up to my leg, and then he does this. And when he does this, my only response is to lean down and pick him up. The scriptures tell us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And so this morning, as we engage in worship, draw near to the Father this morning, and he will pick you up. If you've never sang with your voice before, sing to your creator, savior, and king this morning. If you've never lifted your hands up in worship before, it's just a way of saying, I give up. I surrender. I need you. You've never done that before. Try it and see if God draws near to you. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.